In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling and walking in the UK and beyond. My name is Ned Bolting. I'm Laura Laker. And I'm Adam Tranter. Welcome to this, our 22nd episode. This time, we've got a really fascinating interview with Isabel Clement, who is a lady I have met several times, and uh, I've listened to this interview, and it's extraordinary, of the disability cycling charity Wheels for Wellbeing, talking about how we make active travel infrastructure work for everyone, and why there are still huge gaps in how we deliver transport infrastructure for disabled people, and why she's getting into pedestrian campaigning. It's a really important topic inactive travel. And um, if it's not something you've considered at all, and I can't say you you could be forgiven for that, but I think many people haven't considered it. um, You should look forward as I did to understanding more. Mm. Uh, So we'll come to that in a second. In the meantime, how's it going, Adam, Laura, what's, what's new? Oh, gosh. What haven't we been up to? Um, now you're overselling it. Um, uh, we, I'm, I spent this afternoon just totally mesmerised by by a review from a bloke called Paul. Um, I saw that. I it's, saw it's that. Brilliant. They, they, Paul tweeted us, and and I, yeah. I, really I clicked nice. on it, and 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 it strikes me that Paul knows us better than we know ourselves. And, and our wait, podcast wait, wait, hold on, <laughs> hold on, two seconds, Adam. You said you spent the afternoon mesmerised by it. <laughs> Like, I was wondering about that as well. The review is about the review is about five hundred words long. And no, I know, yeah, but at this, this and you've time spent of the crisis. afternoon just reading it and rereading oh, it. And, yeah. He's like skipping through room. meadows in his mind, just thinking about this. Like we're all struggling, we're all struggling during lockdown, and a little bit of positivity won't go amiss. So if I read it more than once, then then I think that's fine. Um, but Aww. yeah, like we we've been told by by a podcast expert to introduce ourselves at the start of. Uh, Start of every episode, um, and and Paul's just Paul's just nailed it. He was really nice about the podcast, which is which is great, and we we, we genuinely makes the world a difference to to, to hear that. And um, Ned, I wonder if you could read this little little bit in your broadcast voice because it just it just will do. makes me very happy. <laughs> I will do, and probably worth mentioning, it comes from the Spoke and Word um, website, uh, presented by a trio that's equal parts journalist. Advocate and devil's advocate, Streets Ahead is an honest and self-aware look at the state of play when it comes to getting around in a way that's not going to kill us, our children, or the planet. Yeah, I really like that. Um, so I guess, Laura, you're the journalist. Adam, you're mm-hmm. the advocate. And I'm the devil's advocate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good not to, um, not to be in our echo chamber too much. And I think you're a, you're a good devil's advocate, Ned, because... Um, yeah. well, thank you. I'll add it to my CV. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll put it. I'll put it on my CV. By the way, uh, did I tell you earlier on? No, this time in the spring of 2020, when you know the world had ground to a halt, I applied for a job. Did I tell you that? I, I applied for a job picking fruit in Kent, which I didn't oh, you get. Did, you did mention that. You oh, didn't yeah. get that. Yes. No, I didn't get it partly because my CV wasn't. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the first time I had to do a CV since, well, for probably about 30 years. And I yeah. couldn't think what to put on it that was remotely relevant. <laughs> but maybe if I put down cycling commentator and devil's advocate, I would have got the job. Maybe. Um, right. Uh, any other news? Shall we have LTN news? Oh, yeah. With the, with the jingle? Play the jingle. Play the jingle, Adam. Live from the Streets Ahead newsroom, it's LTN. Uh, excellent jingle. Uh, I enjoyed that. But there is significant LTN news, isn't there, Laura, this week? Well, there's quite dramatic LTN news in my area. Um, in I, I think I said last time that it had been started, the LTN, but actually it hasn't. They've done they've launched a consultation. They haven't put the, the planters in yet. But at the exact spot where there's going to be a planter in my future LTN, it's a right angle of a road and the, the kind of houses are side on on the right angle. And someone was driving along, uh, apparently drunk, and didn't stop, didn't turn, didn't didn't deviate from straight and just went straight into the side of this house went through the brick wall up to the windscreen and um, literally inside the house isn't it the car is inside the house it's having it's stopped for lunch hasn't it it's mad yeah it was like in the early hours luckily everyone was upstairs no one was hurt uh, but there's now a board. It's funny because this time last, it's not funny. This time last year, about April last year, there was a house, uh, there was a corner, um, a car on the corner and someone coming the other way had driven into this car on the other side of the road and like pranged it and it was like sticking out at an angle in the road. So it's a bit of mm. a dodgy corner. So, um, but yeah, the BBC reported it as already in an LTN and me and some other local people tried to get them to correct it, which they haven't done yet. So. Yeah. You should say um, that the house was not wearing high vis. <laughs> <laughs> was the, true, was yeah. the driver the driver was okay, right? Apart from I think yeah. miraculously, yeah. yeah, um, yeah it just is. Okay. It's it was odd because it was just like you know in those cartoons where like the character runs through a wall and then they leave that shape behind. It was just like that, but with the carb on it. Yeah, it was strange. They're dangerous things, cars. I I tell you what, I just, this is, I'll wrap this up very quickly, but it fascinated me so much. I've just been, you know, I'm involved in my mad research project. Oh yeah. Just, so just before we started doing our podcast, I was involved in some really intricate research and I discovered the story of the founding fathers of the Renault car firm. Yeah. Mm. Marcel and Louis Renault um, at the turn of the century. 19, early 1900s. And they were, they built their, they built, hand built their first Renaults. Um, and they used to race them in these mad races that cropped up all across the continent, Paris to Vienna, Paris to uh, Madrid. And it was in, in, on stage one of Paris to Madrid, from Paris to Bordeaux, um, that uh, Marcel Renault crashed uh, on, a, on a hairpin bend that he couldn't see because dust had been kicked up by uh, the car in front of him and um, actually died in his own car. Mm. Oh my God. The, uh, and his brother, his younger brother, Louis, won that stage into Bordeaux and then found out what had happened to his brother. Oh my gosh. And then vowed never to race again, um, but went on, to, went on to, you know, found one of the biggest car companies there's ever been. But anyway, yeah. that's oh my not strictly speaking relevant. While we're on the subject of LTNs though, Adam, we mentioned it, didn't we, on the last podcast, the, the, um, the historical LTNs. Yeah. Actually, just yeah. after I think we'd recorded that podcast, I went off for a walk, didn't I, and sent you guys a picture yes. of, of one of them right near my house, to give you an example. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. One of those, yeah. um, like, fire gates, isn't it? Like, with a key on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people have seen them, well, you've forgotten about them, but once you see them, you kind of realise that there are tons and tons of these and 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 i um it encouraged me to to start a little twitter thread asking people to send me the examples in their local area of of modal filters effectively the stuff that stops cars getting through and allows people to cycle or walk or sometimes you know that can be you know roads that have been cut off but maybe the cycling and walking bit isn't that good and could be improved but there's it's basically like I was just inundated with 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 examples um, up and down wow. the country, and someone someone sent me a link to uh, Bolton. Um, somebody's mapped every single modal filter in Bolton, and and bear in mind that <laughs> um, I mean, how many how many modal filters, how many LTNs are we talking about in London, Laura? The the, the new ones that we're all 
everyone's arguing about? I mean, there's a handful, but it's it covers a large area. So something like 4% of Londoners now live within a low-traffic neighbourhood that was built since the start of the pandemic, so mm. since spring 2020. So it's it's a pretty large area. Yeah. I guess in terms of, if yeah, I guess they're being done in, in like properly in, in, in networks. Um, put it into perspective, though, in Bolton alone, there are 900 of these filters in, in Bolton. And uh, there is uh, obviously nobody shouting or trying to get these removed uh, or anything like that. They are just part of normal everyday life in Bolton. And uh, there are thousands, probably tens of thousands um, around the around the country. Uh, and no one is arguing about them. No one is shouting at them. It's bizarre, isn't it? Um, we should probably move. Shall we move on, Laura? You're opening your mouth like you've got something. Yeah, burning, no, I was just remembering. Say, yeah. Adam did a little a little model of an LTN with his oh, model yeah. people. I did. It's adorable. I spent an afternoon doing it, and my kids helped <laughs> me as well. And and like you know, I thought it was really therapeutic, and I felt really good about it. And then. Um, and everyone seemed to like it. And then a couple of days later, I literally had like probably 30, 30 quite abusive and offensive messages from very niche factions of the, the, the taxi train. It just sort of like, it was just, I can cope with it, but it was just, it was just really unnecessary. Um, and, I think it's just uh, nice just to have like, a creative outlet. Yeah. Like these people make models, in some people's like, lives. um, yeah. you know, what's it? Van, Van Tam, the, um, the, uh, one of the deputy chief medical officers, he's been, He's into making model trains. Um, ah. It was an ask in the media today. So nothing, nothing wrong with it. It's nice and relaxing. I love the idea yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Uh, what, what were on the, <laughs> Phil, what Phil Liggett on the likes model trains as well. Phil Liggett's into model, model railways. I was, just being, I was just being a devil's advocate, Adam. That's what I do. Okay. That's what I do. Um, uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. I used to make models. I used to make model aeroplanes, though. I wasn't very oh. good at it. I always used to get, you know, the cockpit, the little pers- yeah. clear, the little clear oh section. Gosh. Always used to get glue smeared on that, oh, and it yeah. really disappointed me every time. Oh, no. um, uh, anyway, um, LTNs are definitely a feature of this upcoming conversation mm. um, yes. in, in really interesting and quite challenging ways, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So we mentioned it before, but um, earlier on this week, uh, Laura tracked down and spoke to the extraordinary uh, Isabel Clement um, from Wheels for Wellbeing. And this is what she had to say. So we have with us Isabel Clement, who is director of Wheels for Wellbeing, a charity that helps to remove barriers to cycling for disabled people. The charity was founded in 2007. Campaigns for access and help uh, for disabled people to cycle. Some people are surprised that disabled people can cycle, but Wheels for Wellbeing research found 64% of disabled cyclists find cycling easier than walking. So welcome, Isabel. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to have you on. Wheels for Wellbeing does a lot with a little, doesn't it? You're a small charity, but you have had an absolutely enormous impact on the world of active travel. It's quite incredible, actually, to see all of the great stuff that you've been doing and how you've changed the landscape around active travel, raising awareness, campaigning for better infrastructure, um, and recognition that disabled people cycle even, which is something that is not is still not mainstream, but has got a lot more recognition in the active travel world. Yes. Well, thank you very much. That's a great intro. Um, yes, we, I, I'm really, really happy that we've had uh, a, a, a sizable impact uh, over the last few years. Um, why it matters is, um, well, to me personally, is that I am uh, somebody who's always worked in disability advocacy, but not in transport until the last sort of 10 years, I guess. And I am finding that uh, through Wheels for Wellbeing, through uh, the messages that we're bringing out, I'm having uh, much more impact on the world around me than I had in the rest of my career so far. So very pleasing on a personal level. And as far as disabled people in general, basically, uh, I'm really, really passionate about the fact that as a part of society, we have had to be vocal. We've had to be campaigning for a lot of things, but we haven't been very uh, loud and clear about uh, wanting better access to active travel. And that's that's completely understandable. That's because um, there are even more 
crucial first priority, you know, earlier priorities before you, you can start going on the barricades about wanting to uh, have the, 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 the right to access active travel, you first need to obviously know that you're going to be able to uh, get uh, social care support, health care support, the right housing, etc. really big ticket priority items, and also accessibility of public transport, access to mobility equipment like wheelchairs and, and cars. Cars have been a have been a huge priority for, for disabled people, cars and taxis. And I've, I've really become more and more aware uh, lately, well, one, because I'm not getting any younger, I'm in my mid-50s, and therefore I personally am I'm, I'm getting more, much more aware of the, the fact that as a disabled person, I've been disabled all my life, I need to find ways to be more uh, active like all of us. And uh, when you've got a mobility impairment, it's, it can be tricky to be physically active. And we haven't got huge amounts of time. Nobody's got huge amounts of time in, in, in life other than in some people have found loads of time suddenly in lockdown. But uh, in general, uh, <laughs> there is uh, little time and disabled people can find that, you know, doing the basics in life take a little bit more time. So finding time to make uh, yourself be physically active can be tricky. And then you've got to find ways of accessing it. Whereas actually active travel, walking, wheeling, cycling, well, we've, we've got to move anyway. If we're going anywhere, we might as well uh, get our exercise during our, our walking, our wheeling, our cycling, during our, our journeys. And again, I mean, I've, I've somebody, I'm somebody who's been very privileged to be to have access to a, a good number of options, particularly the car. Uh, since I, you know, I got my car very, very young, when I was, I don't know, eighteen, twenty, whatever. I personally used to think if I can't drive, I can't go, and that was my reality, and it is the reality of lots of disabled people. Yeah. Not realizing actually that what was in my way, what was causing that situation, was that actually active travel options were not accessible to me. Therefore, I mean, to, because I had other options, I had the car, I didn't particularly go on the barricade to, our, to, to, to bang on about wanting to be more physically active while I travel because mm. traveling at all was the, the main priority. Yeah. But I'm now realizing how many barriers have been put in our way as disabled people in the way of us being physically active as we move. And therefore, yeah. we're stuck in a situation where if we're not being picked up or driving out from our front door and and parking at the at the front door of our destination, we have no option to be physically active for any part of the journey. So that's what I've become a bit of a, an activist about. Uh, it's not just about running the organisation that Wheels Wellbeing is and and providing opportunities away from traffic, etc., for for disabled people to try out cycling, which is very important. Uh, but it's not just about that. It's also about starting to reshape the narrative about disability and active travel will shape it at mm. all I guess <laughs> yeah and it was transformative for you I know that you've spoken about this in the past when you discovered that you could turn your wheelchair into a hand cycle and how that basically allowed you to travel independently and yeah. actively at the same time mm. that's right that's right because I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think it's a very well-known thing. People are, people, people are very fearful of wheelchairs and, oh, I don't want to end up in a wheelchair. It's all very negative. Actually, wheelchairs are extremely enabling if it's the right wheelchair, the right type of wheelchair. When I first started using a wheelchair in, in my mid-20s as an, an additional mobility aid, I became, you know, much freer to a lot, of, to, to a large extent to go further with less difficulty, except that that's all very well indoors. But our out of doors, wheeling along in a wheelchair is actually really difficult because the environment's so rubbish. So, so it was either the car for outdoors or the wheelchair for indoors. And actually, when, I, as you say, I, I discovered, well, I guess about nearly 15 years ago now, that I could add something to the front of my wheelchair to to turn it into a hand cycle. And that it was completely transformative. And it wasn't that I suddenly was able to move uh, when I wasn't able to because I had my car, so I could move around. But I could move and be active at the same time, get my heart pumping at the same time. Actually, for the first time in my mid-30s, experience endorphins, which I'd not I'd not experienced before because I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't actually make a, you know, get my body to make a, a sufficient amount of effort to create the endorphin, to release the endorphins without either being, you know, extremely hot and bothered and not wanting to do it or creating, you know, injuries in myself or whatever, which cycling didn't. So cycling gave me 
mobility and pleasure at the same time. I mean, you know, what can be better? <laughs> it's quite amazing once you start to realise how many barriers there are if you have a disability to uh, of any sort to basically all transport. Yeah. Um, and we've got a long way to go. And people with disabilities aren't being considered in the planning process, design of transport. It's a long-standing problem. Yeah. Um, but this year, there's been a. It's it's become it's maybe kind of reach the public consciousness in a way that it hasn't before with three kind of major events, I guess, in which transport for people with disabilities is sat front and centre. The first being the High Court ruling on the London street space, brought about by the Licensed Taxi Drivers Association, uh, which found, among other things, that Transport for London failed to consider that taxis are part of the public transport network for people with disabilities. Second was the Transport for All report, Pave the Way, which was about the impact of low traffic neighbourhoods on active travel for people with disabilities and future of accessible active travel uh, concluded that many people with disabilities felt their voices hadn't been heard. Uh, some changes have been made to the disadvantage of people with disabilities. Um, and we're going to talk to Transport for All in an upcoming episode. But oh, I wanted to mention this because um, you obviously have insight into this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third is potentially uh, legal action being considered on removal of some pop-up cycle lanes, both in London and in the south of England. They were taken out before the end of the trial periods and the legal action being considered is on the grounds that equality impacts hadn't been considered, Hmm. uh, not only for people with disabilities, but uh, for women and children who might want to cycle and older people. Um, In some ways, these are different sides of the same coin, disabled people's voices not being heard. Yeah. And yeah, I realise there's a lot there, but maybe we can talk about each one. Sure. Yeah, very happy. So the High Court ruling, obviously, as you've said before, cars and taxis uh, are crucial for some people with disabilities. And if it's scary for someone to feel like they're not being allowed access to their vehicles or to be able to drive for every journey, then for someone with a disability, it's it's it has even heavier implications. I wonder sort of what your thoughts on, on that are. You're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, for, for a lot of people, non-disabled people, it's 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 either just inconvenient or it's really annoying or whatever to to not be able to use your car or, or, or other motorised tr- uh, transport. For a lot of disabled people, it's actually it can actually mean the end of mobility at all. Um, so, mm. and therefore the end of being able to access. Um, you know, your hospital appointments or, or your, your work if you're working or uh, uh, et cetera. So because the options uh, open to disabled people are limited, are reduced. So there's reduced choice. And if you've managed to find solutions to uh, your needs for getting about or your needs to uh, move other people around, if you've got children, for example, and as a disabled person, you have found the way around, you know, how to meet your own mobility uh, means, uh, needs rather. When that is threatened by changes, uh, particularly changes that you had no uh, knowledge about prior and most people don't like change but for disabled people forcing them to or facing them with change that has to be made you know overnight just just doesn't work you can't it's disproportionately disadvantaging to disabled people to you know you're, it's, it is literally like you know removing the option to move or you know it's like locking some people in overnight with no warning with no mitigation with no alternatives being put forward. That's why a lot of people have really reacted extremely angrily uh, because uh, it's not about, oh, it's a bit inconvenient or it's going to be a little Mm -hmm. bit more expensive or a little bit more time consuming. It's about I can no longer get out of my house or get to my GP or get to my work. So the whole thing about uh, equality impact assessments is it's about exactly that, measuring the impact that a, a measure is going to have and whether it is disproportionate to certain uh, people with protected characteristics. And the reason they have disabled people, women, etc., have protected characteristics is because it is known that those groups of people have uh, fewer uh, choices, have, have more barriers in, in, in their ways. Uh, 
uh, on a daily basis. So, um, obviously, the majority of, of changes have not been about blocking altogether access by cars. It's been about making it a bit more circuitous or, or, or uh, a little bit less straightforward. But as I say, for some disabled people, it will create an absolute barrier. So, it's not about a lot of people. It's about some people being able to find, uh, being able to be supported to find an alternative or being able to be exempt from that uh, from that measure. Uh, the whole issue of taxis is a, is a huge issue. Uh, which I, I sort of yeah. don't really want to get too far too involved in, uh, but, but there are going to be a few tiny minority of people who will need some alternative or some exemptions yeah. put in place, whether it's a taxi they're using or their own car or somebody else's car. And, and I'm afraid there's no uh, work around that. Or it's, a, it's a shame to have to go through the legal routes because actually there's got to be uh, ways of finding mitigations and exemptions. Mm -hmm. It's we've just got to do it. We've got to. It might not be straightforward. It's not easy, but it mm -hmm. can be done. So I, I hope that the 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 um, the issue of, of Bishopsgate and, and other areas where for the moment taxis are completely barred, uh, they can be solutions found for the tiny amount of time they are carrying somebody who has no other options. Mm. And those are real. Mm. They exist, they're, but they're not the, the majority of their of their customers. So I think I'll leave it as that on that topic. <laughs> So it, there's no sort of easy solution, but it's it's just that people have to be included in the conversation. That's it. Yeah, no, the, the, and, and organisations such as TfL or boroughs mm. or, or nationally, the, the Department of Transport have to grapple with these issues, have to involve disabled people and, and our organisations to come up with solutions because there will be solutions it's, it, 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 in, in no way is is there no solution to this problem we all agree that uh, we want less traffic less pollution but we also have to all agree that a few individuals who have no option need to be uh, provided with either exemptions or mitigations so that their lives are not you know their, their right to move and to get to their legitimate destination is not taken away from them um, and that's that's what the transport for all report was getting at particularly with low traffic neighborhoods one of the key things that they said was that disabled people are being spoken for and not to in this debate. Mm. And, and I think that's something we've alluded to already. There's been quite a lot of strong feeling around this report. I guess you have understanding of the active travel element and um, understanding of working with people with disabilities and so can uh, have put have kind of put across both sides there. Yes, yes. I, 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 I mean, I, uh, we, we uh, contributed to the report as an organisation mm. that's well being provided a, a kind of expert mm. contribution and also me as an individual I was I was one of the 84 uh, interviewees so I have I've given uh, my thoughts on the matter and and as yeah. Transport for All have, have reflected in in their report they, there are some disabled people who've really benefited and, and are really happy with LTNs and others who've been really affected negatively um, yeah. and and as they say and I, you know I, I personally as an and and as Wheels Wellbeing as an organisation, we're very supportive of their report. It, we feel mm. it's a very balanced. It's it's it, they are not an academic body. They they have not had hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, to uh, do this as a scientific piece of work. But they have, uh, mm. as a tiny organisation, just like ourselves, done a huge amount of work here. Qualitative interviews with eighty four individuals in uh, mm. a good number of different uh, areas of London where there are LTNs, etc. What a huge piece of work! really yeah. well done to, to Transport for All for what they've managed to pull together there. And they recognise it themselves that, it, you know, this is not necessarily a, a fully representative sample, but it's a huge sample of disabled mm. Londoners in local areas which have low traffic neighbourhoods. And um, yes, it's important to hear those voices and it's important for local government and, you know, local authorities and TfL to hear the real stories and the, the real impacts that putting measures through as an emergency have, have, have created but, but for, for all sorts of reasons. And, and for me, you know, importantly, uh, local authorities, though they were told, you have to do this fast and you have to do it within the equality legislation. I don't think they were given the tools to do this properly by mm -hmm. having, you know, really good, quick guide to do's and don'ts 
about uh, accessibility and, act and active travel. And, you know, you must never, there should have been some very clear guidelines, you must never mm. block up, a, you know, a dropped curb, for example. Yeah. It, you know, brilliant to put planters in certain areas to uh, narrow down the areas so that only the, the uh, emergency services, for example, and, and, and refuse collecting uh, lorries can get through. But generally, it's, it's very clear that cars can't get through. That's all very well. Uh, but if you put your planter in just in the way of the dropped curb, which is the area that a lot of disabled people are going to rely upon to be able to get on and off the pavement, you've, you've inadvertently created um, a huge barrier to individuals in that local area. So, of course, people are going to be very angry and not necessarily mm -hmm. see the benefits of that measure uh, because all they can see is that they, they can no longer get on with their, their journey locally to, you know, to get on or to get off that particular pavement and they can't travel at all. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's basic things, as basic errors as that have been made all over the place. They could have been avoided. They can be remedied. It's not difficult. But if you don't give the people who've got the job to put the planters out very clear instructions as to what not to do and what to do, uh, you're going to get these uh, ridiculous situations uh, cropping up. So I, I think it's, it's just really important that people are heard and uh, able to contribute. And I think local authorities need to be given much clearer guidance as to uh, what to do, what not to do in terms of the design and, the, and, and temporary changes to any environments. It's not that difficult. I mean, a lot of these, like you suggest, are kind of small tweaks. It's about putting planters in place. It isn't going to block the drop curve that's in someone in a wheelchair can't get onto the pavement or onto the road. Hopefully this has been a bit of a wake-up call for everyone uh, working in the active travel space. And in um, I know that at least one council is now consulting with Transport for All about low-traffic neighbourhoods to try and get a better understanding of, you know, as a direct result of this yeah. um, High Court judgment and the Transport for All report to just ensure that, you know, the material that they're sending out is accessible and then the physical infrastructure is also yeah. not going to advantage people further. So I know your inclusive cycling design guide has been very influential, actually, and it's already mm. influencing government policy, isn't it? Does that, would that cover some of these issues or is it particularly... Well, it's interesting. We we are we have been and we still are a cycling organisation, uh, mm. a disability and cycling organisation. But increasingly, uh, particularly over the last twelve months, we have been uh, increasingly vocal in the sort of walking, wheeling space as well as the mm. cycling space, uh, because real yeah. you know we've really realised that yeah, there's, there are huge gap in knowledge, uh, there are huge gaps in uh, in training, uh, understanding, etc. I mean, I'm I'm amazed, 2021. I wasn't too surprised about cycling and disability being a bit of a, a niche element, but walking and disability to still be a bit of a mystery and huge mistakes to be made. I think it's 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 unforgivable, to be honest. Uh, and and again, as an individual disabled person myself, it's only be, really been become clear to me in the last only the last sort of say year or two years uh, how much. Uh, the problem starts with pavements because I was a driver and a cyclist and I very rarely use my wheelchair on the pavement and I don't really use very much public transport. I had actually been pre-COVID, I had been starting to try and use public transport a little bit more and I, re I realised why I hadn't bothered until now, until then is because of course, if you're going to use public transport, you've got to use the pavement a lot more. You you have you have no option. You, if you if I haven't got my bike with me, my handbike, I need to be on the pavement when I'm not on the bus. The pavements are an absolute nightmare. So of course, disabled people are you know have the this uh, complete disincentive, um, and you know for for a lot of us, it's impossible to safely wheel or walk along the pavement. It's just not a choice that's available to us. Because it's too narrow, because it's cracked, because it's there are death traps. Uh, there's there's uh, bins in the way, and then COVID comes, and suddenly it's May and it's lovely weather, and there's tables and chairs in the way, uh, which is all lovely, al fresco eating, fantastic, but absolute nightmare for visually impaired people or, or people you know will, uh, using a, a rollator or a, a mobility scooter that aren't, that's not uh, legal on the road, so they have to get through on the pavement. There's no more pavement. It is a nightmare. Driveways, you have to go down into the driveway, up the other side. Do you have the strength to do that? Is, is there a camber as well? So 
of course, disabled people are not out and about, uh, you know, other than being taxied or driving themselves around uh, because we haven't started with the beginning, at the beginning, which is pavement. So wheels well-being is getting more involved in that conversation just because we've realized that it hasn't been said loud enough, loud and clear enough. So we had been working on, and we still are working at devising a, an audit tool for the accessibility of cycling infrastructure, for example, with a, a particular council in London. And uh, I've now realized, actually, once we've finished that, we need to do the same for pavements because apparently there is no tool for engineers and, and uh, to, wow. to say, you know, grade the accessibility of this particular bit of infrastructure, this crucial That's bit of infrastructure. Cool. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> <laughs> so we have to start at the beginning. It's Again, it's not difficult, but because disabled people have not been involved in the professions and have not particularly had the time and the luxury to campaign around active travel because they've had other priorities to look after first, it's mm. just not been done. So there's a glib statement given out by DFT, TFL, whatever, you know, go out and spend this money making sure that you're, you're doing it accessibly and in line with equality legislation. But there's no how to do it tool. So other than very, very well-meaning, extremely careful and, and, and well-informed uh, engineers, and there are some, but, but they have to do, you know, they have to spend a lot more work, a lot more time trying to find ways of doing things. And of course, there are disagreements but even between uh, disability groups. So the, the needs of visually impaired people might not mesh with the needs of wheelchair users, for example. Well, that's a piece of work that needs doing. We will find solutions that are appropriate for both needs that do not cut across each other if we put the time and the investment in it. So as an individual and as an, uh, with my organization, this is something that we've started to, to, to talk more and more about. And it isn't about us being everywhere, auditing every pavement. It's about us influencing uh, the professions and helping them to devise guides a bit like we have uh, helped when Department for Transport was revising its cycle design guidance a couple of years ago, it, which was finally launched last year called um, Local Traffic Note LTN 120, sexily called. Uh, <laughs> we, luckily, somebody told, you know, informed us about the fact that this thing was being, re was being reviewed and we were invited to the table as a key stakeholder. Well, the manual for streets, uh, I believe, is also coming up for review, and that's more about the rest of the environment, not just the streetscape mm -hmm. and, the, and the cycle uh, infrastructure. It's well, not just the carriageway; it's it's you know pavements and everything else. Well, it sounds like we're going to have to be involved in that too. Uh, we're not engineers; we're not transport specialists, you know, by training, but we have the absolute clear understanding of what the needs of disabled people are. And we just need to be uh, having that voice at the table with the professionals who just need to be told these are what, what the key accessibility mm -hmm. elements are for disabled people. These these are the maximum cambers we can cope with. These are the maximum gradients we can cope with, whatever. Go off and then do, find an engineering solution because we're not engineers. But it's quite amazing to me how, how much the way the environment is delivered and planned isn't just about having legislation in place. It's also about having the right people in the right conversations at the right time to influence how our environment is, is you know, is built. Um, and the fact that those conversations hadn't happened until now is quite baffling to me. Wow. So you're going to be doing even more. I know you, I know you do an enormous amount of work already. <laughs> Well, it sounds like we are. Hopefully we are, or somebody else will have to do it. I don't mind if it's not us, but another disability organization, uh, you know, yeah. people who are informed about the needs of disabled people and who, mm. who can then communicate that to the professions that, that matter mm. and, and the decision makers who matter. Otherwise, uh, things are created around us, which actually in the end create barriers with, you know, unwittingly. Yeah. Um, are there any countries getting it right? Oh, I wish I knew. To be honest, we we need more collaborations internationally. I mean, around cycling and infrastructure, cycling infrastructure and accessibility, for example. I mean, I know that in the Netherlands, where cycling infrastructure is better in general, we see a lot more disabled people who cycle. The, the standards for cycling infrastructure are so high and 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 cater for such high. Uh, numbers of cyclists. It's therefore very wide. It's therefore, you know, very easy to use. It's therefore very prominent. It's easy to find your way, etc. 
and therefore disabled people will you know will want to be using that and will be able to be using that but i don't know if that ex- to what extent it extends to the facilities around cycle parking for example well we know that they provide a lot more for cargo cycle parking mm-hmm. therefore if you've got a trike and, and and you use that you're going to be you know so it's a little bit the other way around sometimes it's not necessarily been led by disabled people but it, it it's of such high standards anyway that disabled people can can use it um mm-hmm. so i'd said the netherlands and cycling are doing okay but uh, to be honest the Netherlands and walking not so sure for disabled people mm. using walking environments um, I'd love to talk to disabled people in other countries and, and, and do some research on that at the moment we haven't got time <laughs> we're going to concentrate on the UK but uh, we want to continue that conversation and we, we really do want to have to learn more about other places and, and whether other places are doing it I'm originally from France and I know that that is not an example to follow or wasn't when I was there and I've not been there for a while but I hope other disabled people can can get in touch and tell us <laughs> where it's where it's working well and it's about having a whole system approach because it's of course it starts if the infrastructure is laid in an inaccessible way and then we're stuffed anyway we can't even start but it's not just about the infrastructure it's also about uh, for example the the, the availab- availability and and affordability of appropriate mobility equipment such as mm-hmm. the right wheelchairs such as cycles not all no, people not expecting to have to use uh, mobility scooters all the time for example if they can't walk very w- far or very well why you know i i before i came across my my hand cycle solution um i thought i had to purchase a, a mobility scooter in my in my mid 30s because that's all i knew as to the next step past the you know where where my wheelchair couldn't go uh, maybe i needed a, a mobility scooter well that's just an immobile <laughs> that's not a mobility it's, it does make you mobile but not actively mobile and therefore you yeah. then lose all the options of one using the carriageway which is a better better surface than the pavement uh, it, it it stops you being actually physically active and getting your 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 health uh, as you as uh, improved as you move etc so it's about you know information and uh, resources to provide uh, people with equipment to be as physically active as they want to be and can be. Otherwise, the NHS picks up the pieces and the individuals uh, suffer and, and, and become more is- isolated and, and, and to be truthful, die younger, which is uh, really not where we want to be. So, yeah, post-COVID, this is going to be an absolute priority. Everybody's going to have to do their best to rebuild our uh, health. And we are not going to be able to rely on the health health service to, to you know, suddenly provide loads of physio and loads of hydrotherapy and loads of individual physical therapies. Let's give people the equipment, uh, like a hand cycle, like a rollator, like a, a maybe an electric scooter for some people, to be able to be out and about moving without needing the, the car for some of the journeys so that we can do all the walking or the pushing or the wheeling or the cycling that we can independently of, of NHS services. Because there are a lot of options out there, aren't there, in terms of different cycles. And yeah, um, you do actually, in your Inclusive Cycling Guide, you have some great examples from around the world. And one of them is from uh, a various different good practices. There's some good bike parking in Dublin that we saw together in Hello City in 2019. Yeah. That was great. And um, uh, Portland have a, an inclusive cycling hub where you can try out different kinds of cycles. But they are ultimately, they're very expensive. They can be very expensive. And, and yeah. it's about like, how do you make the, those access, uh, accessible for people? Yes, and 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 it's as I say, it's well. Those are examples of good practice for. Uh, examples where solutions have been found to certain barriers. Mm. But what we, what, when I say I don't have an example of, of around the world of where people are doing it right, it's, it's about that whole system approach I was talking about. Yes, exactly. You've got to have the right infrastructure. You've got to right, have the access to the, to, to the mobility equipment. You have to have access to advice and information. Purchasing is expensive, but anyway, even before purchasing, you need to, to know what is best, you know, what's going to suit your body, but also your, your mm. personal circumstances. 
circumstances where you live, where you where you work, where you you know where what your journeys are, um, as to whether you're going to invest in this or that particular bit of of kit, uh, because can you store it at home? Can you store it at work? Can you store you know can can you park it at at school if you're you know a disabled kid who wants to cycle to school, etc. Mm-hmm. And therefore being able to uh, have impartial advice is really important. So all the wonderful inclusive cycling hubs around the, the UK, Wills Wellbeing is, is one of, of them, but we, there are plenty others around the UK, really good resources for people in this country to, to go and try out yeah. uh, uh, non-standard cycles and standard cycles with, with expert advice from, from volunteers and staff uh, and meet other disabled people, talk to other disabled people who use other, you know, certain bits of kit. What's, what, what have you found? What's your experience? Just like buying any other expensive bit of equipment, you want, you want other people's experience to be shared so that you can learn from their, you know, the choices that they've made and, and how they found them. It's, it's, it's all of that. So also being able to hire one for, you know, for a day, for a week, for a, for a month to try it before you buy, etc. Uh, we, we are pushing all those little bits of the pixel to be developed. So at the moment we're, we're trying to pilot uh, a proof of concept, uh, inclusive cycle hire scheme for London. There are a couple of other schemes being uh, trialed in other places around the UK, which means that, you know, by the summer, hopefully we should be able to say, hey, guys, you know, yes, inclusive cycle hires, a bit more complicating than complicated than just putting a few docked, docking stations around, around the city and letting people just, you know, borrow it for, for a couple of hours or hire it for a couple of hours, but it can be done. Um, and hmm. and this is the way it can be done. It needs to be uh, supported and resourced, but it can be done. And then, and then disabled people have an option to to, to start thinking about moving away from having to rely on the car, having to rely on taxis, having to rely on other people to move them around. So you'd come to London, is this what you're saying, and then be able to pick up a cycle that would meet your needs yeah. and, and sort of ride it around town? Really? That's the idea, hopefully. <laughs> if we, that's if, fantastic. That's what we're trying to develop. Uh, you know, say you, 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 you're a trike rider up in, in York, but you can't get, at the moment, it's really tricky to get your trike on the train that's another barrier we need to remove at some point but uh and you want to come to london but you need your trike to move around the the city well you can't take your own trike because it won't go on the train therefore you ring up and book a a, a trike of of similar size etc and you say i'm going to arrive at that time can i have a, a this particular trike please our, our hope is that we can then say, absolutely, sir or madam, we will be there with, with the right trike and, uh, and then we'll pick it up from you again when you leave. That's, that's what we want to get to. And there are a lot of non-standard cycles being used around the, the capital by inclusive cycling hubs, which maintain them, which make them available some of the time in the week. The rest of the time they're in containers and they ah, could yeah, be made available. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a different model. It's it's not obviously it's not super cheap per hire, but uh, it's absolutely crucial to um, to find a way to make that accessible and affordable for individuals as part of the whole infrastructure, the whole sort of ecosystem of you know encouraging people to cycle more, to to and to consider cycling, to try it. So those little interventions, we, we are very happy to uh, be at the forefront of trying them, demonstrating they can work, and then, you know, writing, writing the, <laughs> the manual for other people to go off and do it themselves in, in other cities, etc. So, you know, there's also other initiatives like, you know, in, ensuring that people under, know where to go and where not to go to find accessible routes, for example, and, and uh, being able to have like an app where you can just like your TFL journey planner for a, a you know a journey by public transport or by by bike, uh, you know, going from A to B. We want to develop a, a, a or help people develop an app where, which will point out places not to go for the moment where there are barriers. There might be steps or there might be narrow barriers that you can't get through with a non-standard cycle. At the moment, there's no informa- There's no such information available for people uh, and they could wow. la- launch into a journey and then find that they're stuck. So, you know, all those things are part of the, 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 the things that are crucial for, for people to be able to, uh, to, to just get about. I mean, you know, Google Maps up until very, very recently – didn't have any information about wheelchair accessibility of, of uh, pedestrian routes, for example, or public transport okay. routes. You know, so what? How, how are you going to start 
planning a journey if if you can't find you know where not to go <laughs> uh, as much as where to go so you know it's all about removing the the time it takes the effort it takes and providing people with means uh, to just get on with their lives as actively as they can if they would choose to well thanks so much isabel for coming on it's great to talk to you no problem at all pleasure so there we go isabel clement um fascinating stuff adam what did you um take take from that yeah, I mean, I've I've met Isabel and spoken to Isabel several times before, and she is just a, a force of nature. And the work that's being done is 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 so important. And um, Ned, as you said at the top of the top of the show, you know, it's uh, it it's very likely that a lot of people listen to this, and I include myself in this, have not given the the consideration required for disabled people in in active travel. Now, that doesn't mean that the the status quo was brilliant either um but we have to leave the world in a better place um than when we found it and i think listening to that and some of the some of the challenges is 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 really eye-opening and the thing i really like about isabel's organization um wheels for Wellbeing, and we've done some work with them before is just the 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 positive imagery and stories that come out of that because it's been really frustrating uh, I think for everybody to see um, disabled people weaponized by certain groups in in a way to say you're not uh, catering for disabled people, and actually you need to obviously do that, and that's really important as a bare minimum. But what we see with um, wheels of wellbeing is a lot of people just think that disabled people cannot cycle, and it's just totally not true. So to have that. Um, put across and 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 demonstrating every bit of positive imagery that that they have and normalizing it is just really really important because we shouldn't assume that um you know and i've been guilty of this you, you assume that you can have one set of needs for disabled people as a group and that's just really shallow you know there are all kinds of needs based on uh what kind of um impairments and what kind, kind of disabilities that uh society throws at at people, you know, getting in the way. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, you know, it's the clunkiest term, isn't it? Disability and yeah. disabled people. It's a huge catch-all term. I mean, no one has managed to come up with a better one, um, yeah. but it, but it is, you're quite right to point out, you know, the, the range, the range, the range is huge and uh, everyone within that broad group is a, is an individual with individual needs. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the, 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 the individual that's, disabled it's 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 society that's disabled you know they have an impairment and and society is making that um putting a barrier literal sometimes a barrier in the way that's 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 the issue we don't understand one thing that did strike me from that interview laura that i i i wasn't sure about um and uh i wonder if you could clarify is that um at one point uh isabel says quite early on in the interview she says that they um Whilst most um, LTNs, uh, if you like, add a, a, a detour, if you want mm. to come and go from the road mm. in which you live, um, or a little bit of extra, you know, a few hundred metres extra, um, some of them, she, she said, are total barriers. Now, um, I, I wasn't sure whether that was quite the case, but then she goes on to make other points about curbs and stuff. So mm. I don't know quite what she meant by that, because it's not true, is it, that it's not true, is it, that any of these LTNs block the road at one end and at the other, so that no one can move their vehicles in yeah, and out of those right. streets? Yeah, yeah. I think I th- I probably should have clarified this while we were talking, but I think what she meant was that um, that it's about the drop curbs. So um, drop curbs, the bit that goes dirt from the pavement that goes down to the road, so you can wheel on and off on a flat surface. Um, those are usually on the corner of a junction, and because these um, planters have been going diagonally across the junction, they start at the corner where the drop curb is, and therefore block the drop curb. And I think that's what she means. But I think in terms of driving in and out, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, in in no sort of none of these cases should there should any sort of road be blocked so you can't drive in and out in, in some direction. So. Yeah, I think that's what I think that's what was meant. I, th- I think we should be, you know, open and honest in the fact that when uh, the early stuff came, like V one of of measures, there's pre- some pretty bad stuff out there. Like there's, there's some pretty poor uh, infrastructure that's been yeah. designed that covers over drop curbs or 
or in yeah. creates extra pavement yeah, space yeah. but doesn't have a drop curb you know all sorts of things and and we shouldn't you know glaze over that as kind of like just an, uh, you know an inconvenient truth it's 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 fundamental to get these things right to the sustainability of of of, of active travel yeah and i think the problem was and the problem still is that people just weren't talking to people with disabilities and and the thing that shocked me was that um well i mean there was no guidance on how to do this and what not to do as isabel said for the emergency stuff but there's also no guidance for like the pedestrian realm for people with disabilities and i just think that's astonishing in 2021 and that's what she's discovered since um so um yeah and that's that's another piece of work that they've now taken on but i just find it astonishing i wrote an article about um disability and transport or, and every kind of transport basically no matter which kind of um, impairment you have it is is sort of uh, disabling uh, it's really yeah we really design transport badly and that's despite legislation that's sort of 10 years old uh necessitating that we do this we're still not doing it it's really quite shocking well you you only need to follow the the um twitter feeds of uh really high profile paralympians like um tanny gray thompson and sophie christiansen eight-time gold medalist herself the equestrian uh, rider to realize quite how every day the, and, and, you know, kind of mind-blowingly offensive some of these yeah. uh, situations into, into which disabled people find themselves put are. And I, mm. I find it, I mean, like you say, Laura, I find it incredible that we are now where we are. It's 2021 mm. and we're still so far off the pace. Um, I worked in, 20, in 2012, I was part of Channel 4, Channel 4's team um, covering the, the Paralympic Games in London. Um, which was the first time, Adam, you were talking about it earlier where, you know, you have these moments where you're confronted with stuff you hadn't otherwise thought about. Yeah. And for many of us, um, people without disabilities who are working on those games, that was our moment like that. Um, and, and since then it's kind of been in the back of my mind. And for a while I was working on a book about the Paralympics where it was very much f- to the front of my mind. But, you know, there was bold talk about the 2012 games being a breakthrough moment and a sea change in our attitude because remember how the stadiums were sold out in a way that very few Paralympic games had ever been before. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the legacy, uh, is, there, is there any? Has it been squandered? Um, it strikes me that, you know, we're, we're quite rightly praising Isabel for her work, but she's a pretty isolated figure in some, in some regards. And, you know, yeah. it's a testament to her strength, but I wonder where she gets the, the support from to be as tenacious as she is. My first, uh, I guess, you know, real, real awareness is when I um, had, uh, my twin boys were born and I had them in a double pushchair and I was using the local kind of walking and cycling routes in and around where I live. And, and it's been a kind of bit of a crusade for me since because like still now we're putting the we i'm definitely not but like there are councils putting in um these barriers that 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 basically discriminate against people in not you know wheelchairs or adapted cycles uh and, and people you know indeed with double push chairs like like i had or even cargo bikes and we are literally putting those barriers still in front, front of people and i've seen a couple of things um that you know i i that also have a huge effect on um, that are just everywhere, like a boards in in local high streets, you know, marketing stuff. And and actually, my local town did something, um, you know, uh, five years ago maybe, where where you know, I think it was the the local politicians, you know, accompanied um, uh, blind people and and effectively took some steps in their shoes to see what it was like. Uh, and I think if every transport planner you know, had to do that. There's, there's, there's no way we would have, you know, these issues, some of these most fundamental issues that we have now, because there's just no awareness or, or empathy with how other people might use the, the, the streets. And, and that's got to be better educated and, and improved on. Yeah, I completely agree. And that, that's what, that's what you, that's what you meant when you were talking earlier about how the built environment and society is is the discriminating yeah. factor here? So, yeah. and as Isabel Isabel points out, these are quite easy fixes, aren't they? A lot of them. It's not you know, it's, yeah. not, it's not big infrastructure. It's just a, it's that thing. It's that thing about consultation and having those voices heard and being part of the um, 
part of the the influence you know that, that is brought to bear when these when these schemes are put in. Um, yeah, that was very interesting. And it was. Again, yes, it's great. Food for thought. Um, we shall meet again soon. When uh, what's on the agenda next? Do you think, Adam and Laura? What are you? What have you got for us in the forthcoming episodes? We're going to talk to Transport for All, who did the report um, "Paving the Way," which was about the impact of emergency active travel infrastructure on people with disabilities um, who don't cycle, uh, and or people who do and don't. But um, yeah, it was a very influential report, and we're going to talk to uh, Cycling UK about their legal action on the removal of a cycle lane. So. All right, brilliant. That's still to come then. In the meantime, you've been listening to Streets Ahead. Let us know, do let us know what you think. In fact, Adam, haven't you got something to say about that? Reviews and stuff? Please, please, please be more Paul. Um, we'd love <laughs> to see more Paul reviews. Uh, and joking aside, it will really help us. So, you know, I think on iTunes, we have 95 reviews. They're all gleaming and brilliant and it makes us feel really happy. We could get to 100 uh, just think how a happy we'd be, and b we might even just climb up to the charts above some sort of gardening podcast or something. Okay, proviso their positive reviews, otherwise it could be yeah, quite dangerous. Yeah, obviously, um, yeah. Rate, rate us and reviewers. Share the podcast with anyone else you think uh, might enjoy it or get something out of it. In the meantime, though, uh, from the journalist Laura, that's you, Laura. That's you, Laura. You're the journalist. Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's you. Uh, and the advocate. It's goodbye from me. And from me, the devil's advocate. That was very smooth. Uh, We'll see you next time. Catch you next time. (laughs) A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.